Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today's message is part of our series, Christian. Now here's Pastor Josh. Well, good morning and welcome uh, again to Vertical Church and happy St. Patrick's Day. Nobody loves the Irish. What's going on? Come on. It's like St. Patrick's Day, the day of, of green. I mean, look around. So many people are wearing green shirts. I've got a green shirt on. I don't want to get pinched uh, because some of y'all are mean and not only do you poke on Facebook, but you pinch in real life. That ain't cool. Uh, but I tell you what, let's do this. I tell you, it's St. Patrick's Day. If the person next to you is not wearing green, just, just give them a little pinch. Like, not, not, not enough to draw blood. I'm not talking like that kind of pinch, but you know, just a little, little pinch. And, and you know, uh, and, and the week after Easter, listen, this pinch can lead to a lot of stuff. Because the week after Easter, we're kicking off a series called Unhappily Ever After. So the right kind of pinch might do you some good. Uh, anyway, no, it's St. Patrick's Day, and we're in the middle of a series. We're, we're getting really close to the end. The series called Christian, and um, and this whole series idea has been um, the word Christian in the Bible is not defined. Uh, Jesus doesn't define it. His followers don't define it. The New Testament doesn't say what it is to be a Christian because they don't even use that word. Matter of fact, the word they use is disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? Which is very very clearly defined. <coughs> in the New Testament, what it means to be a disciple, but not to be a Christian. And so we've been putting those two things together. You know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we've identified the main characteristic of a follower. We've said this is how a follower responds to those outside the community, those who don't claim to be followers. And we've said this is what it looks like. This is what God's love in action looks like. And so in, a, in an effort to both be relevant to St. Patrick's Day and our series, picked up the new Rolling Stone. On the cover is a band called Mumford & Sons. Now, the first song that we did, not Be Down My Vision, because that song is, is, is about St. Patrick. I don't know if you know that. <coughs> be Down My Vision is about St. Patrick, uh, the, the you know, patron saint of Ireland. But the band Mumford & Sons, uh, they always get classified as like Irish music. People think of them as Irish influence, but the funny part is, is they're not even from Ireland. They're from, they're from Britain. And yet their music, everybody's like, oh, that's Irish music. But there's this really interesting quote, because I don't know if you listen to Mumford & Sons. I, I've got both albums. The, the last one was a Grammy award-winning album. And Marcus Mumford, the lead, the lead kind of the front man for the band, lead singer, plays guitar, um, and all sorts of other instruments if you've ever seen them in concert. He says this, because their, their lyrics, their songs, have this deep kind of spiritual presence to them. And, you know, people want to know, what is that about? Well, if you dive into their story, Marcus's dad was a vineyard pastor in, in Britain. And so he grew up in a church not terribly unlike ours. But listen to what he says. The interviewer in Rolling Stone right here asks this question. He says, do you consider yourself, and he uses the word that we've been talking about, do you think of yourself as a Christian? I want to read you the quote that Marcus Mumford said, because while at one point we're like, uh, come on, dude, just, just, you know, even if you don't like the word, just come on. But at the other, other side, we're like, yeah, I, I get it. Listen to what he says. He says, I don't really like that word. Right. It comes with so much baggage, to which we would say, uh, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh. Look what he says. He says, so no, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. 
I think the word just conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like, which we've talked about over the last few weeks, that, that Christians, they come across sometimes not in the way that Jesus said they should. Look what he says. I have my personal views about the person of Jesus and who he was. And later on in the interview, he even says, he says, through my whole journey, I've never lost my belief in God. And, and so at one point we're like, oh, come on, man, just say, yeah, you know, Jesus, I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. At the same time, we're kind of like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of baggage that comes with the word Christian. I mean, yeah, I get it, because if you ask people what does it mean to be a Christian, you get all sorts of different responses. Is it what you believe, or is it how you behave? Is it, is it if you go to this church? In some churches, you know, Christian churches, they don't think other Christian churches are even Christian, and other Christian churches just take everybody. And so it's kind of, ah, oh, I get it, but at the same time, ah, oh, I wish we could do something about it. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And again, the interesting thing about Mumford & Sons is that they're from Britain, uh, but they sound Irish, and St. Patrick. I don't know if you know this, St. Patrick's not even from Ireland. He's not, he's from Britain too. St. Patrick was born in Britain, and kids, this is really crazy. I don't know if you know anything about St. Patrick. I'm about to fill you in on what we know, but most of what we know, or most of what we think we know is that more legend than actual like history, because we don't know, I mean, like the whole driving the snakes out of Ireland. That didn't happen. Uh, there are no snakes in Ireland ever. And so, you know, people conjure up these kind of myths and ideas and legends. But what we do know is really cool. St. Patrick's not even born in Ireland. He's from Britain. And when he's 16, he gets taken captive and, and put on a boat and sent to Ireland, and he becomes a slave. Patrick started out his career in Ireland as a slave for six years. For six years, he, 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 he doesn't work. I mean, he slaves for, for his owner. And he hears this, this kind of rumor that there's going to be a boat close by. So he escapes, hops on a boat, and goes back to Britain. And he thinks he's free. He thinks, man, I have finally gotten out of there. But then this really cool thing happens, and I've got to read it to you. Because he writes this in a letter called Declaration. How well, He talks about a vision. I mean, really, it's what he says. He says, I saw a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. Remember, this is a former slave, escaped slavery in Ireland. Now he's living back in his homeland of Britain, and he sees this vision. As I began the letter, I imagined in that moment that I heard the voice of those very people who were near the wood of Folkwood, which is beside the western sea, and they cried out as with one voice, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. And so here this former slave, I'm talking back in the 300s, 400s AD, he's a former slave, makes the decision to move back to Ireland and become a Christian missionary, reaching the Irish people for Jesus. And he takes this attitude, I mean, come on, if you're a former slave and you go back to the country that had you as slavery, you've got an attitude that's, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win people for Jesus. I don't care what i got to do, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And he was quite successful. In, in other documented letters, he talks about baptizing thousands of people and ordaining new priests and even converting kings and princes. 
Think about it. This is a former slave. And he says, man, I saw a vision and God told me to go and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win as many people as I can for Jesus Christ. And he does it. He does it because he's not going to let anything stop him. Look, throughout his history, he, he was legally without protection. St. Patrick had no protection because he wasn't from, he wasn't native Irish born. He wouldn't submit to the kings, and so he had no legal protection. He was beaten. He was robbed on numerous occasions. He was put in chains, and at one point he was ready to be executed because of Jesus. And he said, none of that's going to stop me because I'm going to do whatever it takes to win people who are far from God and point them to life in Christ. St. Patrick could attend our church. <laughs> Except where our color is more blue, and his color, I guess, was green. I guess that's probably green. I don't know. But you're thinking right now, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about today? What does that have to do with Christian? Well, here's the deal. Easter is two weeks away. Easter is two weeks away. And we've set a goal to fill this theater with people who are far from God. And we're going to, on Easter Sunday, we're going to point them to life in Jesus. And here's what we've got to do. We've got to have an attitude like St. Patrick. I'm going to do whatever it takes to see people who are far from God find life in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you call this church your home church, that's your mission for the next two weeks. Find people who are far from God, invite them to church, point them to Jesus. And so what I want to do today is I want to tell you a story from Luke chapter 5 on, on how Jesus, um, in this story with Jesus and these other people, how this looks in real life. People doing whatever it takes to get people who need Jesus to Jesus. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Luke chapter 5? We're going to begin reading with verse 17. And it's this interesting little story. You've probably read it. If you went to Sunday school, you've probably seen it flannel graphed um, on, a, on a flannel graph board um, where, you know, where somebody that looks like my mom that kind of did the characters, vacation Bible school. I don't know how you grew up. Uh, that's how I came across the story for the first time was flannel graph. One day, we're actually going to have a whole sermon illustration based on the flannel graph. I'm going I'm to get up here. I'm going to have the whole flannel graph. Anyway, maybe you don't think that's cool. I think that's hilarious. All right, verse 17. Here we go. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. The scriptures will be on the screen above us. One day, Jesus was teaching. Because that's what he does. He's Jesus. He's the master teacher. So one day, he's teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now that's a very important point there because what we're going to discover is this story is about somebody needing healing. And so right in this first verse we see kind of Luke painting this picture of what the scene was around Jesus. Jesus had gone into this town and he's teaching in a house. He's teaching in a house, and because Jesus had, had you know, healed so many people and people were flocking to him, all the Pharisees wanted to come and find out who this Jesus guy was. Now, the Pharisees get a really, really bad reputation, and deservedly so. I mean, they're not the greatest people in the Bible. They're not, you know, upstanding, what we would call upstanding, like, representations of who God is on the earth. But they get a really bad reputation because we often think of them as professional Jews. We think that they're professional Jews, and the reality is they're not professional Jews. They're more like uh, middle-class, working, not formally educated uh, Jewish people who started with a really, really good idea. 
Matter of fact, they started with a good idea that was so good if, if we took a survey of people in the auditorium and we said, how many of you would agree with this idea? Most of us would say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And here was their idea. Their idea was this. People should obey the Bible. That was it. This is what, this is what a Pharisee's original idea is. People should really obey the Bible. That's a good idea. You would probably agree with that. I would agree with that. Man, people should obey the Bible. The problem is, is, is when they took that idea, and then how are we going to get this to become a reality, they took the wrong approach. The approach they took was, well, we've got to have rules to make sure we obey rules to make sure we obey rules, and they made it about what you do and I do instead of what Jesus has done. Okay, now granted, they didn't have Jesus at the time, but you see what I'm saying? They made it about what they can do, their works, instead of the grace of God that's already revealed in the Old Testament. And so they made it about achieving an acceptance that's already been provided, and, and, and you can't do that. And that's what Paul is talking about through most of his letters. Is look, this grace that God's done, it's a free gift. You can't work to achieve it. And so what they started off as a good idea becomes a bad idea because they take the wrong approach. And now they're wanting to see what Jesus is saying about this. That's why they're sitting there. That's why they come from all the big cities around this house, Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. They, they come out because Jesus had gotten famous and they want to listen to him. They want to hear what he's saying. They want to see whose side Jesus is going to land on. Who's Jesus going to agree with on these big issues? So here they are in this house, sitting on the front row, laptops open, searching for free Wi-Fi so they can Twitter and blog the whole conference. Okay, they're ready to roll. Smartphones are out. They've got their version open. All right, Jesus, come on, teach us something. And so Jesus is, is there, and it's going really good, and, and they're just sitting there. <laughs> And we're wondering, well, why are they just sitting there? Well, the idea is that they're sitting there in judgment of what Jesus is saying. Not unlike, you know, Randy and, and Nicki Minaj and Keith Urban and Mariah Carey sit there and judge the contestants on American Idol. It's not terribly unlike that. They're sitting there in a place of judgment. We're going to tell you if what you say, Jesus, is good. And if it, if it helps people obey the Bible. And if it doesn't, we're going to judge you. And if it does, uh, then, then we'll rally around you. And so here they are sitting there. And look at this next verse. Look what, look what happens next. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And we'll come back to those guys later, but look what happens when they try to get their friend who's paralyzed. It means he can't walk. Right? He, he's completely unable to move himself. He can't create any motion. And this is nine, verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this, they couldn't, when they couldn't find a way to get to Jesus because of the crowd. Well, why is there a crowd there? Well, because Jesus is there. And when you invite Jesus into your, into your small group, your small group becomes a big group. And when you invite Jesus into your house, your house gets really, really packed full of people because Jesus has been healing people and delivering people and calling people to follow him and lepers can't get enough of him and people with evil spirits. And he, he had this woman who had a fever and he, he healed her and she didn't have a fever anymore and people can't get enough and so they want to see what Jesus is going to do next. It's like, it's like they want to see the magic. I want to see the magic. I want to see, I want to see him, you know, abracadabra lay his hands on somebody and they get 
healed. I want to see that. And so here you have in this house, you've got religious people sitting on the front row and non-religious people, and they've all gathered around to see what Jesus will do next. It's like Jesus is on some kind of magical mystery tour. And so, it's, I mean, he's like, you know, more popular than the Beatles. He's packed everybody in this house. And so the, the Pharisees are sitting there, and they're probably looking for Jesus to make a misstep, to say something wrong. But, but what we find out is that the Pharisees, while they are a barrier to this guy getting to Jesus, they're not the main barrier. They're not the main obstacle for this guy to get to Jesus. The main obstacle is the crowd. Here, you've got to kind of picture this with me, because Luke does a great job kind of illustrating the story for us. Here's a guy who can't move. He can't walk. He's laying on a cot. His friends have grabbed a cot, they've put him on it, and they've carried him to this house to see Jesus. And when they get to the house, they're like, we can't get our friend to Jesus. Well, why? Because the crowd is there. Because the crowd is blocking the way, especially all the religious people. And all the people want to see Jesus do the next big thing. They're all blocking the way. Right? It's amazing. It's amazing. Here's somebody wanting to get their friend to Jesus, and they can't because the church people have got all the seats. I mean, this is kind of humorous, right? Here's a person who obviously needs Jesus, and they can't get him in church because people have blocked the way. And some people, you know, some people walk away from church because they experience the pharisaical judgment of really, really, really religious people, right? Looks, words, attitudes, you're not welcome here. That, that kind of verbal, outspoken, vocal thing. But then a lot of people get turned away from church, not because of something obvious, but because of something unintentional. We just don't make room for them. We don't, we don't step aside and let them get close enough to Jesus. For whatever reason, we become the barricade. And sometimes we create these unintentional barriers that prevent access by what we do. Like the Pharisees, what we say and how we judge people and, and how we act towards them and how we don't show them grace. But a lot of times we create barriers not because of what we do, but because we don't do anything. Because we don't do anything. Look, look, the, the, the crowd doesn't do anything to help this guy. I mean, come on, you, you know they saw him. You, you can't miss four guys carrying a cock. What, what do you think they're doing? I mean, here they come, the four probably big guys, because they're carrying this thing who knows how long. You can't miss this, and they don't do anything to help him get to Jesus. It's not that they did the wrong thing. It's that they didn't do anything. It's not that they took the wrong action. It's that they failed to act at all. Their attitude was not, I'll do anything to win people to Jesus. Their attitude was, I'm going to do anything to win people to Jesus. And so look what happens. 19b, well, the friends, they're not going to be discouraged. They're not going to be um, prevented. So this is hilarious what they do. They go up on the roof. And, and, and they, they dig through the tiles. They lowered the, him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. These guys are so determined to get their buddies to Jesus that they take an ancient chainsaw to the roof. Now, you know at Vertical Church, we do things a little different around here, right? I'm not going to start this chainsaw. Y'all are great. <laughs> 
They're not starting a chainsaw. Man, they'll come in here. What in the world's going on? And I'm like, I'm going to cut down the chair. I'm not doing that. But what you see, these guys are so intent on getting their friend to Jesus that they take whatever the equivalent of an ancient chainsaw is to the rooftop. Now, come on, think about this. Here, the, the roofing material in those days, it was like these, these, these small tiles uh, laid across beams of wood and then held together by some kind of mud-like cement mixture. And so they had to work pretty hard. They had to dig. Who knows how long? They had, where did they get the stuff to dig with? They didn't, they didn't bring it with them. No, they had to go look for it. They did, they did, hey, you're going to have to lay here for a few minutes. We've got to go find some chainsaws. Because, look, dude, you're getting to Jesus, bro. I don't care if i got to cut a hole in the roof to get you there. And that's what they do. They take a chainsaw, and they go through the roof. I mean, come on. That's, that's hilarious. Again, picture this. Jesus is inside, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and all the religious people are sitting there, and the crowd has gathered around. People are on the outside, and, they're, and then Jesus, I don't, know, maybe, I don't know what he's saying, but all of a sudden he feels a little dust on his shoulder. <laughs> Jesus stops. Everybody stops typing. Everybody's looking up, and, and he, picture, I mean, the dust is falling, and then the dust turns into, like, these bigger chunks of roof and tile. And then all of a sudden, you got like four rednecks standing over the hole. <laughs> What's going on down there? And so then they get their buddy. Where did they get the rope? We don't know. They had to go look for it. They start lowering this guy down. The homeowner's probably freaking out, calling the police, 911. These guys ripped a hole in my roof, calling those lawyers you see on TV. Get me some help now. <laughs> you got to show up now. These guys are, are ruining my house and they drop him right in front of Jesus which is to say there's no way he can ignore this right there's, he cannot ignore this and so kind of picture this here's Jesus standing he's been teaching and then all of a sudden this guy comes down and he's eyeball to eyeball with Jesus and the guy's like hey Jesus I'm paralyzed <laughs> how are you today it's a pretty funny moment I mean it's like you know, it's like surf to Jesus or something I don't know <laughs> like we've gone into Ted Center and we got people flipping. It's just crazy. Well, finally they get him down and he's laying on the ground. Okay, and everybody in the room has now figured out and they're all getting pretty excited. They're getting pretty excited because they know what's about to happen. Because anytime Jesus comes in contact with someone who, who is obviously in need of healing, well, Jesus is the healer. Bam! Taken care of, right? And for the paralytic, this is a moment he's been waiting on for how, who, who knows how long he's been this way? Who knows how long he's been in this kind of condition? He, he knew. He's like, I was lowered from the rooftop on a cot, but bless God, I'm going to walk out of this place on my own two feet because now I finally got to Jesus. And so I want to just pause here. I want to ask you a question, a very simple question. I mean, elementary question. What are you willing to do to bring people to Jesus? What, what are you with? These guys went out and got a cot. They, they grabbed their buddy. They put him on there. Again, who knows how long they walked. They climbed up the steps to the roof. They took a chainsaw to the roof. I mean, who knows how much noise that made. Just to get their friend. They really wanted him to get to Jesus. Do you know that statistically, three out of four people that give their life to Jesus in a church come because a Christian friend or family member brought them? Three out of four. 75% of people giving their lives to Jesus come because a Christian friend or, or family member brought them to church. 
What, what does that mean? Here, here's how the church grows. Here's how people find Jesus. It's, it's followers of Jesus, disciples, bringing their non-Jesus-following friends and family and co-workers and cousins and crazy Uncle Al who nobody likes at the family reunion. Some of you, some of you, you know people that need Jesus. And, and the question that we have to wrestle with this morning is, is, is what are you willing to do to make that happen? What, what are you, have you invited them to church? Have you bought them a Bible? Have you said, hey, you come to church, I'll take you out to lunch. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I've invited them a bunch, but they never come. They, they always give me some sorry excuse like, well, I forgot. Well, did you call them in the morning and remind them? Well, you know, they said they tried to come and didn't know where it was. Well, I tell you what, next time say, hey, I'll come pick you up. I'll come pick you up. I'll bring a muffin, a banana, and a cup of coffee. I'm going to smile and I'm going to do this in a weird, mean way. Afterwards, man, I'll take you. We'll go get pizza. You have no, no excuse. What are you willing to do to bring your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, cousins, uncles, aunts to Jesus? What are you willing to do? And look, that's what God's asking of all of us. What are you willing to do? There will always be obstacles. There will always be obstacles. There will always be barriers. There will always be something trying to prevent you from bringing your friends and family to Jesus. But the question is, will we be creative and resilient enough to not stop when the obstacle presents itself? Will we, will we find a way around whatever crowd gathers to, to prevent us to get to Jesus? Will we find a way around that to get our friends and family to Jesus? Listen, Pharisees and religious people don't do that. Christians don't do that. People in the crowd, they don't do that. Disciples, disciples do that. Followers of Jesus who know the grace that they found in Jesus and they want to share that grace with other people, they do that. They do whatever it takes. So the question is, do you and I, do we, do we have chainsaw faith? Do we have chainsaw-like faith? We're going to do whatever it takes to bring people who are far from God and point them and show them what life in Jesus looks like. Do we have chainsaw faith? And the great thing about Vertical Church is this is a place you can have chainsaw faith because we don't care who you bring. We, we really don't. We don't care who you bring. You can bring, you can bring the, the you know, most, no, most upstanding citizen in all of Chesapeake. You can bring and you can usher them in and we'll say, hey, it's awesome to meet you. This is, a, this is an all-inclusive VIP access to Jesus Church and here's Jesus. And then you can bring like some, somebody you pulled up off the street who hasn't had a shower in months, man, and, and who, well, hey, here's Jesus. Yep. We don't care. Right. We don't care who you bring. Why? Because we just want to pull up people to Jesus. Amen. And it's the beautiful thing about our churches. We, we really don't care. Good people, bad people. Great people, ugly people, beautiful people, old people, young people. We don't care. Just bring people to them. We want to say, hey, here's Jesus. We just want to say, look, 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 look. Look at Jesus. I know there's all kinds of crazy, weird baggage going on in Christian church culture. It's bizarre. We just want to strip all the way and say, hey, hey, just take a look at Jesus. Because we believe if we can get you to Jesus, then he'll take care of whatever you need. And look, that's what happens. At verse 20, this is so cool. When Jesus saw their faith, because uh, you can't not see chainsaw faith, okay? When Jesus saw their faith, you can't miss 
chainsaw faith. When you see it, you, you can't miss it. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, this is so weird. Your, your, your sins are forgiven. It's almost cruel, right? Like, I mean, I can imagine the friends are still standing up on the roof and they're, um, hello, Jesus. He can't walk. <laughs> He's paralyzed. He, he, he doesn't need forgiveness. He needs healing. What are you doing, Jesus? Who cares if you're forgiven his sins? He's still on a cot. He can't walk. And the paralyzed man, I mean, can you imagine what he's doing? He's still he's laying there. It's like a scene from the office or something. He looks at Jesus, looks up at his friends. Looks at, it's just this awkward moment where Jesus just says something totally off the wall. Everybody in, the, everybody in the audience is thinking, this guy needs healing. He needs to be able to walk. What are you doing? Proclaiming forgiveness for him. And the Pharisees get offended at this. Look what happens. Verse 21. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which really is a great twist, right? It's, it's, it's irony. It's not like Alanis said, ironic. It's not that. It's real irony. Because he is Jesus. Right? I mean, he is God. Jesus is God. And that's what he's it's like. Well, their, their attitude is, you, you, you can't just blanketly forgive a guy for all of his sins. Who do you think you are? He hasn't done the right sacrifice. He hasn't presented the right kind of the, the right kind of cost. He hasn't gone through all the ritualistic steps to receive forgiveness. Who do you think you are, God? And Jesus is kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I've been saying. That's kind of my whole message here. That's the big E on the I chart, bro. I am God. And look, this is awesome. Because because Jesus totally goes like Chris Angel mind freak on everybody, okay? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. They didn't even say it. They don't even express this criticism and judgment that they've got going on in their minds and their hearts. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asks, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And so I don't know if you're aware of this, but when, when Jesus reads your thoughts and tells you what you're thinking before you even are able to say what you're thinking, I think he gets a point in the God call. I think, I think at that point the Pharisees got to say, well, maybe he's God. <laughs> because I didn't even say that, and he just straight up read my email. I, I didn't even voice that. And look what goes on. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Here, here's what he's saying. If this guy, if, if his sins are forgiven, and I just pronounce that his sins are forgiven, well, you won't know because you can't see that. You, you, can't, you can't look and observe that I have forgiven his sins. But if I tell him your sins are forgiven, now walk home. I forgive his sins, I heal his paralysis. Well, if my mind reading didn't do it for you, that's pretty good evidence that I'm God. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not, I'm not dull here. I'm not, I'm not so out of touch that I don't know why these four guys climbed on top of this roof, cut a hole in it, and dropped their friend here in front of us. I know what his need is. I know what he's expecting. And here's the truth that's really the bottom line of the whole thing that's so, 
so incredibly amazing and beautiful and awesome that if you can grab hold of this, man, we will have an Easter that we will never forget. Here's the truth that the paralyzed guy didn't know. Here's the truth that the four friends didn't know. The Pharisees didn't know. The crowd didn't know. Only Jesus knew, and that's all that mattered. This guy's biggest problem wasn't that he was paralyzed. His biggest problem was that he was in spiritual paralysis. And so here's the awesome thing. The friends don't know this, but they bring him to Jesus anyway. The crowds don't know this, but they get to see it happen. The paralytic didn't even know this about himself, but Jesus knew it, and that's all that mattered. Because when you bring people to Jesus, it doesn't matter what you think their biggest need is. Jesus has the ability to discern their biggest need. And a lot of times we bring people to Jesus and we think we know what they want, but the reality is we don't know what they need. And so the, the, the incredibly cool thing about all this is it doesn't matter why you bring them, just that you bring them. And you might have all these preconceived ideas that when you bring people to church, here's what they really need. You know, that, that really their marriage is broken and they need a marriage to be healed. But Jesus is like, I'll get to that. First, let me deal with the biggest problem. Or you might bring them in, and you might be thinking, man, they really need community and to find some friends and to get some good uh, good kind of role models. And Jesus is like, we'll deal with that, but let me get this first. And so it doesn't matter why you bring people. When you bring them to Jesus, he takes care of the biggest, deepest, most life-altering need that they have in their life. The, the, the friends brought this guy to Jesus, bringing him to get healed. They didn't know he needed forgiveness. But he gets forgiveness because they bring him to get healed. And so often when we come into the church, the thing we want the most is not the thing that we need the most. And the beautiful thing of it all is that as long as we get in the presence of Jesus, Jesus addresses whatever need we have. And he discerns what we need most we don't have to do that. You don't have to pre-diagnose your friend when you bring them. It, and it doesn't matter what kind of pre-existing condition they have when they walk in the door. Because he can take care of it all. He can forgive their sin. He can heal their marriage. He can heal their body. And he can do it all at the same time. And you don't even have to know what they need. You just have to know to bring them. You, you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to know what they're, what, 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 what's breaking their heart, what's causing them to be paralyzed in guilt and frustration and bad choices and bad decisions. You simply have to operate chainsaw faith. Good. That's all. Good. I'll do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus. I don't, I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to diagnose them. I don't have to know. I don't have to tell the pastor, hey, these people really need X and Y and Z. No, no, no. I just have to have chains off faith. I'll cut whatever hole through whatever roof I have to do. And when they get in Jesus' presence, Jesus will take care of the rest. I love the image of this guy. And it sounds kind of like, uh, kind of sick, but <laughs> I love the image of this guy laying paralyzed on a cot. Because how many of us have, have friends and coworkers and sons and daughters and moms and dads who are paralyzed in their sin? How many of us have people that we work with every day who are paralyzed in their guilt, paralyzed in the shame of their actions? 
and their bad decisions? How many, how many people do we know who are paralyzed in their marriage, who are paralyzed in condemnation, who are paralyzed because they feel like they were born a certain way and they don't know what to do with it? How many of us know people who are paralyzed, unable to move to get to Jesus, and the only thing they need to experience forgiveness and healing is somebody to grab a cot, grab a corner, and not let go till we get to Jesus. How many people? How many people? We know. They don't know Jesus. They don't attend church. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they used to attend church, but for whatever reason, maybe they encountered a, a pharisaical, judgmental person who was sitting in judgment, or maybe they just got blocked out by the crowd. We don't know, but they didn't get access to Jesus, and now their paralysis isolates them from him, and they can't move, and they can't get their... To get themselves there for whatever reason. So the question that we wrestle with is, are we blocking their access to Jesus? Either by doing something like a Pharisee or by not doing anything at all. Or are we actually helping them access Jesus? Are we sitting there doing nothing like a Pharisee? Are we blocking the way like the crowd? Or are we operating chainsaw faith? saying, I don't care what i got to do, I'm going to bring you to Jesus. And so your next step on the bottom of your program that you received when you walked in the door, it says, my next step is to bring blank to Jesus. I want you to fill that in with who? Not, not the word who. I want you to think, who am I bringing to Jesus? Who am I going to bring to, who am I going to operate chainsaw faith with and bring them? I don't care if I've got to call them in the morning, pick them up bring them a muffin, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Who? In a book called The Unchurched Next Door, Tom Rainier says this. He says, more than 8 out of 10 of the unchurched said they would come to church if they were invited. I'm not talking about like church people who already attend church who say, hey, won't you come to church? We're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who on Sunday morning, they're watching Meet the Press. Okay. They're, they're, watching, they're watching like NFL Countdown. They're not doing anything. Eight out of ten said, man, I would go to church if somebody would actually invite me. And then look at this. In his research, he discovered this. Only 2% of church members ever invite an unchurched person to church. So look at the discrepancy there. We've got 80% said, yeah, I would go if somebody invited me. And 2% of the church are actually operating chainsaw faith. Isn't that amazing? What would happen? Can you imagine? What would happen in a church if a, if a group of people said, Man, we're going to operate chainsaw faith. We're going to be like St. Patrick. We're going to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. We're going to do whatever we have to do to get them in the presence of Jesus. And we don't know what they need. <laughs> we just know that they need. And when they get there, Jesus will take care of the rest. And if they need healing, he's got it. And if they need forgiveness, he's good to go. What would happen? Imagine. Or, or, or perhaps you've been working on somebody. I want to just encourage you for just a quick moment. Perhaps you've been working on somebody, trying to bring them to Jesus, and they haven't responded like you want them to. Don't be upset at their, at their decision. Don't, be, don't label them as unreachable. Here's what you do. Just keep loving them and don't let go of the cot. Just, just keep loving them. Just keep digging through the roof. Just keep digging through whatever, whatever baggage they've got. Just keep 
holding on to your pole and, and don't let them go. And perhaps this morning, perhaps you don't identify with a friend. Perhaps you identify with the paralyzed guy. Perhaps this morning you, you, you identify more with, more with him paralyzed in your guilt by your past, by choices that you made. You know what the awesome thing is in this story? Jesus forgives. He just does. <laughs> the guy doesn't do, the guy doesn't even have faith for himself. Notice that, notice that Jesus, when he saw whose faith? Not, not the paralyzed guy's faith. His friend's faith. Do you have faith enough for your friend to find Jesus? Do you have faith enough for your husband or wife to find Jesus? Do you have faith that if you bring them, if you, if you get them in the presence of God, that Jesus will take care of the rest. When he saw their faith, he told the guy. It's amazing. This morning, perhaps you've been frustrated because every time you've tried to receive forgiveness, what you feel like you get handed back is a list of rules and regulations that you have to follow to receive forgiveness. Listen, that's not the deal. That's not, the, that's not the transaction Jesus wants to have with you this morning. He just forgives. He, he is a God who comes to live and die and rise again and give forgiveness to whoever wants it. It's free. That's, that's what he does. That's who he is. That's how he works. And look at the end of this passage. This is so just awesome how this ends. Immediately he stood up in front of them. I think it was both figured it literally and figuratively literally he stood up because his legs were healed but figuratively inside he stood up for the first time raised to life again because of the forgiveness of God he took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God everyone was amazed and gave praise to God they were all filled with awe and said we have seen remarkable things today listen friend that can be you that can be you. You can leave today with joy. And, and you can leave today with new life. And everyone around you will be amazed. And you can leave today thinking, finally, that's what it's like to stand up. I haven't used my legs in years. Finally, that's what it's like. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for how you are revealed through your scripture, through your Bible, through the, the, these stories, through writers like Luke and Matthew and John and Mark. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can see clearly that it's all about Jesus. It's not, a, it, it's not about what we do. It's about what he does. It's not about us trying to live the perfect life. It's about the perfect life that he lived, his, his grace freely given. And God, some of us this morning, we're, we're like the paralytic. And I want to say, God, thank you that you forgive sin. You just do. May those of us in the room this morning, may we walk out of here with our mats in our hands. May we walk out in newness of life with Jesus. This morning, 
in this attitude of prayer, if you find yourself in that kind of position where you need to respond to this offer of forgiveness from God. Listen, to the, that thing that you feel in your heart, that, that thing that's making your palms sweat right now, that you're hoping I just hurry up and finish real quick so you can move on, that is God calling you. Offering forgiveness. The fact that you feel that is the, is the reality that He's given you grace to respond to Him this morning. Don't, don't resist. Don't hold back. Just simply say, God, forgive me. I admit that I need forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you are God. And I declare that I need you. And I am following you. Jesus, save me from my sin. Save me from my lifestyle of disobedience to you. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you. And if you pray that, we believe that in a moment, in an instant, everything is changed for you. Everything is different. What we want you to do now is we want you to tell somebody. Because, because we, we discover in Scripture that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. You need to confess. I ask Jesus to forgive me and make me new easy way for you to do that is on the back of the communication card here in just a minute when we get ready to receive our offer. This little box that says, send me more information about becoming a follower of Jesus. If you check that, put your name on the other side, that's a way of confessing. It also helps us help you take the next right step in your walk with Christ. I also want to pray, Lord, for those of us who would hear this, and we have friends who need to be brought Lord, make us like these guys with chainsaw faith. Make us like St. Patrick, who said he would do anything to bring people to Jesus. Lord, we believe that you'll forgive their sins and that they can walk home with joy in their lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. This is all for you and all about you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.